Good evening, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. You can find us online at independent.org. That's I N D Y P E N D E N T dot O R G. My co-host, Amber Gagarian, is out today. We have another amazing show for you today. In our opening segment, we'll look at the growing crackdown on free speech at the City University of New York, a crackdown at least for students and faculty who are critical of Israel and its assault on the Gaza Strip. And in the second part of the show, we'll talk climate action. The, the annual UN Climate Summit is being held this week in the United Arab Emirates. It's been fully captured by fossil fuel interests. We'll talk about that a little later. Uh, but we're going to uh, get closer to, to the grassroots here at, uh, during the show and speak first with Atefa Galviz of the New York City DSA Eco-Socialist Working Group, which played a key role last year in passing legislation in Albany that could revolutionize how public power is produced here in New York State. And we'll also speak with Reverend Billy of the Earth Church and the Church of uh, Stop Shopping. So, but first, let's turn to CUNY, the City University of New York. It's the largest urban public university in North America. And for the past uh, couple of months, it's been a flashpoint in the battle over campus free speech during a time of war. At Hunter College on the Upper East Side, the campus has been roiled by the administration's flip-flopping on whether they will allow a film that's critical of Israel to be shown. And at Brew College in Lower Manhattan, top officials there canceled a teach-in on Gaza by members of that school's history department yesterday. So if you can't talk freely about controversial topics on a college campus, well, we're in trouble. So joining us now to talk about all this are Tammy Gold, professor of film and media studies at Hunter College, Johanna Fernandez, professor of history at Brew at Baruch College and also author of The Young Lords, A Radical History, and Safa Khan, a student at Baruch College. Welcome all of you to WBAI Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Of course, it's great to have you here on WBAI. So, Tammy, let's start with you. Uh, You joined us a couple of weeks ago uh, when uh, it was – uh, the this film called Israelism, which is about uh, young Jewish people uh, who are brought up to support Israel, uh, ha- you know, uh, uh, having second thoughts about that and, and going in a more uh, uh, questioning direction. Um, the the president of Hunter College came under a lot of fire for canceling a screening of that uh, movie last month, and then indicated she would allow it to be shown. Uh, can you tell us where things stand now? Well, hi, and I'm getting a lot of static, so I'm not sure uh, my audio is coming through. Uh, you sound fine uh, to me. Okay, right now, the the film is playing in a theater here at Hunter College. But if we step backwards and we see the journey, we really can see what happens with censorship and repression and mixing it all in terms of the question of Palestine and Israel. Um, so I planned the screening in June and it was a screening like I do a lot of screenings. Of course, I knew this was more controversial, but I do screenings all the time and I've never been censored. I do controversial screenings, never censored. 
what happened is we had the plan early in the semester. I asked the Arabic studies program if they would co-sponsor it. They said yes. And we started to build an audience. We got posters. We were building a community of people who wanted to talk about Israel-Palestine. Then October 7th happened and the murder, murderous attack on a kibbutz in, in, a, on, in Israel and everything started to change. What happened is there was, um, a email that was sent to the assistant of the president to really start tacking the, the filmmakers. The filmmakers said, no, they were invited by me. So everything then started to kind of was like an onion. Everything was peeling apart. So I'm not going to go each step. What I think is important to know that by creating confusion, they get control. And that's what started to happen. So we did a big reaction. Students organized, which is so amazing. Faculty organized. The union organized, came up with the resolution, the Senate, everything. What then happened is the pushback was so great that at a certain point, and the article came out in different publications, at a certain point, the um, president said she would reschedule the screening. And that was great. And we saw that as a victory. And in fact, it is a victory. If we stop there, yes, the groundswell of students and faculty and staff were able to push a president of a CUNY college to reverse her censorship. But what started to happen is a lot of little things here and there. And they, um, they said, that the screening would happen, but it would have a rabbi part of the event. And I took great exception, issue. And we don't want to foster the dominant narrative that this is a religious issue. So we there was a lot of pushback and all back and forth. We decided since they didn't let us know who the rabbi was, they wouldn't give us any information about what's he going to do a, a statement? Was he going to just moderate? We knew nothing. So we pulled out. After we pulled out, the administration decided to really ask us, no, we want this to be your event. And we said, fine, that sounds really good. It could be our event with the co-sponsorship of the Arabic studies program. The provost and the dean said, yes, this is great. Then what happened is it went to the president and she says, I make the last word. Absolutely no. We said, but this is crazy. They've been part of this from day one. How could you do this? And they said, we could do it. We did it. No. So we decided we couldn't sponsor it. We couldn't sponsor it. We would let it happen. The film is critical. It's a phenomenal film. It has great politics. We're not going to boycott the film. But we would not put our name on something that was that racist and overt just overt racism. So this goes to show how they confuse things and manipulate things. And and it became really a complicated struggle here at Hunter College. The good news is that it's fostered a great group of students, mostly students and faculty, 
to come together to really work on this issue and to plan next semester to have a Palestinian film festival. Faculty, the administration won't be able to stop us. We'll use the faculty lounge. We are making all these plans of what's going to happen now. After this semester is over, we're going to continue and we're going to build showing films about Palestine, Israel. Fantastic. Now, I want to uh, pivot over to Baruch College uh, and uh, Johanna Fernandez. Uh, The situation there where a teach-in on Gaza was scheduled for yesterday. Uh, You're a member of the history department and you were one of the the three uh, professors who was going to be presenting at that teach-in. And then uh, not too far far before it was supposed to happen, the, the whole thing was canceled. It sounds like in sort of a similar fashion to what we were hearing about at Hunter, uh, just sort of a presidential fiat. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you, you've seen going on over there? Oh, well, it's the same story. We had been working with the administration for over a month uh, to pull off um, this teaching that was going to offer historical perspective on the current crisis in the Middle East and Gaza. And um, one of our colleagues, Andrew Sloyne, was central to this process. He's a scholar of Jewish studies. He met with security, with the provost, with the dean. Um, the event was postponed once. And um, at the 11th hour, on a Sunday night at 4.30, um, Less than 24 hours before the event, the next day at 12.30 p.m. Uh, was was canceled. And we were told that the flyer um, was a problem because it was called the Gaza Crisis, a teach-in, and that suggested advocacy um, and that we couldn't have this event right now that the timing was terrible because of the resumption of fighting in the region. That seems like a good time to have this conversation. Uh, if, if a university is not able to engage one of the most important uh, battles of uh, this century, um, then what are we good for? Is the question. This is, this is what we are about. We are about discussing, debating, um, history, uh, and, um, and, and we hope that history will inform the contemporary crises of our time. It's, um, it's a violation of academic freedom, of, of intellectual inquiry. Um, but it's also, uh, a sign that the university is becoming like the corporation, right? The corporation is the most um, autocratic institution in society. The university is supposed to be different than that. Um, and and it's a tragedy for the world and for our students. And uh, pivoting to students, I want to welcome, welcome Safa Khan uh, to the show. Uh, Safa, uh, you're a student at, uh, at Brute College. Uh, what what was your uh, reaction to learning that this uh, teaching had been canceled? 
I was really upset because、um, I would spread the word, and I know they only told you guys that you could do it last minute so that was, we weren't able to make that many flyers and really put them out and promote it. But even then, it sold out like completely. And I had a lot of my friends that were willing to go, and they still are willing to go if we're able to reschedule. But there's a really little, like, small chance of that happening. But then at the same time,、uh, my ideal for, because I just transferred to Baruch, right? Um, so it's my first semester here. So I guess I put on this pedestal of like, oh, it's, it's a public, it's CUNY. And so they have、uh, obligation to be, um, morally upstanding and like you can speak freely and there's no censorship, but you always think there's no censorship until it, there is. So, um, by this happening, I feel like it opened a lot of people's eyes to like, you're not immune to, um, it being your school or like, even if you are public, It can be anybody's school, and it's basically up to the students and the teachers to organize something that will make a difference. Right. And why, why do you think、uh, the administration、uh, canceled、uh, this teaching? What, when they say they were concerned about safety, do you feel that <laughs>、no. t h a story? No, I feel like they're concerned about the more education that GOAT gets out, the more people will realize propaganda. And,、um, Education and like,、uh, mass education on like, it was 175 people could fit in that room. On that big of a scale, it's a threat to their,、um, story. And it'll actually like foster critical thinking for people, which they do not want. So that's why they're trying to silence. Right. Um, and, and, and do you think the teach-in will be carried out in some fashion?、Um, I hope so. I hope so. Whether it's online. Or whether it's outside the campus or maybe a teacher's lounge. I don't know. But,、um, either way, I'll be there to support it and definitely get the word out. There's definitely people who are willing to still go. And even though it's short notice, people are going to fill up. Like it's going to be sold out no matter what. The youth want the truth.、Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so uh, just pivoting back to, uh, uh Tammy, Johanna, um, he, Give us a little bit of a sketch of sort of the power structure at CUNY. And we talk about these campus presidents, but they're, they answer both to a board of trustees and the board of trustees, the majority is appointed by the governor of New York,、uh, Kathy Hochul. Some of them were appointed by her predecessor, Andrew Cuomo. But can you just kind of talk about the outsized power, especially of the governor in all this, even though she sort of lingers in the background and doesn't have to take a, a, the criticism for what's happening? So who should go first? Tammy, go ahead. Okay. I'm not, I'm trying to get the question. What、Just、you're helping asking. Helping people understand why this is happening, like what the political well, pressures are.、Uh-huh. I think it, it happens like in, it happened in Vietnam during the war in Vietnam. It happens, um, with war. War produces censorship. War produces McCarthyism. Um, freedom to think, explore, having discussions on campus becomes a hotspot. This is not new. This happened at City College. This is not new. What we have to expect this. The climate was terrible before October 7th. The situation right now, and I'm speaking for myself,、mm-hmm. it's a genocide. I'm speaking from my own perspective. It's a genocide. That doesn't mean I support what Hamas did. 
because that was outrageous. That was murder. And that was murder of civilians. So some people might not agree with me. I look at that as a form of terrorism. I see the situation now has escalated to such a point before October 7th. I didn't, when I was in the West Bank, I didn't think it could get worse. I didn't think, I was thinking then the escalation of violence felt like a potential genocide. And then we just see like three years, four years later, look what we're seeing. Um, So my thinking is along with war, along with imperialism comes repression and repression at universities. There's a history of that. Is it the chancellor? I don't know. Is it the... We have 30 seconds. Okay, let me leave it open. Okay, that's my perspective. Okay, I think uh, I think we uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up, but uh, Professor Tammy Gold, Professor uh, Johanna Fernandez, and Safa Khan, student at Brute College, thank you so much for joining us on uh, WBAI this evening. Also, we have a reporter out at a protest that's supposed to start at Hunter College in about 15 minutes. We may get... Um, uh, a, a field report from him. And, uh, anyway, we will be back with, uh, climate, uh, coverage after this short music break. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. I over. That was Palestine by the Ministry of Dubkey. Uh, you are listening to the Independent News Hour on 99.5 FM. I'm your host, John Tarleton. We now turn to the future of the Earth. This week, diplomats, world leaders, and a small army of fossil fuel industry lobbyists have gathered in the United Arab Emirates, or UAE, for the 28th Annual UN Climate Summit. Uh, There's no sign that progress will be made on reaching new agreements to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and stabilize soaring global temperatures. Uh, Joining us now to talk climate progress closer to home is Tefa Galviz. She's a member of the Eco-Socialist Working Group of the New York City Chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. Last year, Eco-Socialists uh, were a key part of a coalition of groups that persuaded the New York State Legislature to pass the Build Public Renewables Act. In a moment, we'll learn why that's a big deal. T- uh, Tefa, welcome to the Independent News Hour. 
Hi, how are you doing today? Thank you so much uh, for having us in your show. Of course, it's great to have you with us. Uh, so before we uh, uh, go further into the interview, uh, we're going to play this clip from Sheikh Al-Jabir, uh, president of the COP28 Climate Summit taking place right now in the UAE. He is also the head of U- UAE's state-owned oil and gas company. Okay, that was not Sheikh uh, Jabir. Um, so I don't know if we're going to uh, hear from the Sheikh. Um, Wait, give me a moment. Let me see if you gave me. All right, let's try. There is no science uh, out there or no scenario out there that says that the phase out of fossil fuel is what's going to achieve 1.5. 1.5 is my North Star. All right, so that that was Sheikh Al Jabir, uh, head of both the um, U- of a state-owned oil and gas company, also uh, the president of this year's uh, climate summit. Uh, uh, Tefa, first of all, just your thought on uh, the kind of people who are, are currently driving the train uh, that uh, you're trying to turn around. It's shameful. It's just ridiculous how someone can lie in such manner like the amount of ego and greed that you must have to be able to lie like that of course this is important to him because he's an oil executive and so why would we be surprised that he's using a platform to advocate for his industry and not for the world the science is clear and it has been clear for over a decade that if we want to keep the earth habitable our only choice is to move away from fossil fuels and you know, him and Elon Musk can take their spaceships and want to go to other places. They can go do that, but we don't want to do that. We want the Earth. We are being extremely harmful to it, and the effects are happening now. We're seeing higher asthma levels, polluted water, polluted food supplies. So if he wants to keep on lying and using his money for it, go for it, but we're going to keep on fighting. Right. So uh, let's talk about that fight. Uh the uh, NYC DSA and in particular it's the eco-socialist working group uh, wing of the organization uh, fought for four years to get the Build Public Renewables Act passed in New York. Uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, what's in that act and why you think it's so important? Yeah, so in this act, we're moving into renewables in a faster pace. We're democratizing the way that renewables are built. We're making sure that there is a just transition. We're making sure that communities um, are being taken care of, like shutting down plants that are uh, contaminating impacted communities. Uh, we're creating uh, economic benefits for community members that are uh, low income community members that are struggling to pay their utilities. So it really is uh, a step away from privatization into public ownership. Um, we started fighting for this about four years ago, but the first thing we had to do was we had to write the bill. Um, we have come to realize that legislators and politicians have gotten really cozy in their jobs and they don't want to write good legislation and even less pass good legislation. So we started by writing three different bills. Um, 
And the first year we tried to figure out what bill was the best bill. And then we finally picked one and we pushed with it in the second year. And it went on the um, climate commission. Uh, Kevin Parker was the sponsor and he sat on the bill the whole year. And so we decided, okay, Kevin, you're going to sit on the bill. We're going to primary you and we're going to get someone to, to move you out of the way. And so the following year, we almost took his seat, uh, with David Alexis in Flatbush. And therefore we built the momentum we needed to move the bill out of, uh, commission in the Senate. But that was not all we did throughout all the time. We did coalition build, building, uh, through public power in New York with organizations like say, like IBW, the Steam Feeders Union. Um, the Energy Democracy Alliance, Food and Water Action, New York City DSA, We Act for Environment Justice, Sunrise New York City, St. Energy Project, UHABW, Long Island Progressive Coalition, Nassau County DSA, Southfield County DSA, Hudson Valley DSA, Meets and Holly Valley DSA, For the Many, Sunrise Westchester, Central New York, Syracuse, Alliance for a Green New Economy, Metro Justice, Rochester Justice, Network to a Sustainable Tomorrow, uh, Capital uh, District DSA, the Finger Lakes, Ithaca DSA, and right, New York right. to CL. I mean, like, it was such a broad amount of people. And I just really wanted to name them all because this did not happen because someone had an idea and then someone else wanted to enact it. This was thousands of people represented through thousands of through their representatives in a coalition and then also our socialist in office elected that last year united fought together and the electeds represented us both in the assembly and the senate and pushed through and made sure that our political power that we had built was heard and taken care of in the in the assembly and the senate and so we won we won because we built uh from love and and uh power okay so now you've got the legislation passed uh you you're facing the challenge of implementation and a governor who's uh, been obstructing uh, every step of the way uh can you talk about uh what's the next uh, for you all to try to really make this uh, dream into a reality Definitely. We definitely know that passing something doesn't mean it's going to get done. So we are doing an implementation campaign where we are working to build pressure from below and inside to make sure that the governor uh, builds the BPRA to its full potential. It's no longer a proposal. BPRA is the law. And we intend to do everything needed to make sure it's a law that is followed as written. We want to organize people in places that will benefit from the renewable projects so that they can be heard and we want to build with organized labor so that they can also be part of a just transition. Okay. And, um, uh, can you talk about has, has the, the victory with the BPRA, uh, has that, uh, had influence in other states? Absolutely. Others, I mean, BPRA has been known as a matter of fact around the world. We have had people talk to us about it as something that is incredibly important to like the future that we're walking into. But DSA National uh, has a commission, the Green New Deal Commission, who has created a campaign called Build for Power, where they're assessing uh, different states and coach- coaching chapters uh, that can make their own public power campaigns. And in this moment, uh, there are a couple of states like Michigan, like Minnesota and Michigan, 
working on it and uh, other places like Milwaukee. Okay. And and let's just talk for a minute here about the value of um of, of having a public renewable publicly owned renewable power system. Uh recently in New Jersey they had uh big plans afoot uh to do a lot of offshore wind that was going to be built by a Danish corporation. The Danes are kind of at the forefront uh, in the private uh uh industry as far as building uh, offshore wind. Except the, the the corporation uh, had a, had a situation where, with changing interest rates, they decided they couldn't make the profits they needed, and they withdrew from the project. And New Jersey is kind of just uh, stuck uh, with no path forward. Uh, can, can you kind of compare that to what uh, you all have uh, set the stage for here? Definitely. Um, oh, are you there? Yes, still here. Oh, definitely. So, you know, that's an incredible, perfect example of why we can no longer rely on a private own anything uh, kind of market. Uh, we have given them years and opportunities and millions of dollars and millions of chances, and they fail over and over and over again. And it is a perfect example to know that we need a new way. And the new way is having a publicly owned and democratized um, form of building renewable energy. And so away from the, we need to go away from the, from the private and into publicly owned. Okay. And last question, uh, uh, a little more of a, a meta question. Uh, I, I think uh, yeah, certainly uh, progressives and socialists have a very clear understanding that our political system is uh, deeply dysfunctional and rarely serves uh, ordinary uh, working people. But what gives you all the drive uh, to to keep at it and to try to wrest uh, some uh, form of justice out of a, a a broken system? People, people, and centering people over profit. We do this as an act of love and community. We're fighting for our lives over death, the life of the earth over death, our families over profit. And people want to build community and thrive together. And so people are really, really, really uh, the inspiration and what drives this for us. And where could people find out more about your organization? You can go to ecosocialist.nyc and you can find more about our social media, the campaign, what we're doing now, what we have done before. Okay. Well, Atefa Galviz from the Eco-Socialist Working Group of New York City Democratic Socialists of America. Thank you so much for joining us today during Climate Week. Thank you so much. And let's fight and win. All righty. Sounds good. Uh, we're going to take a short a music break here and in a little bit we're going to talk uh, with uh, environmental revolutionary Reverend Billy
That was Let Me Talk by Earth, Wind, and Fire. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM, your peace and justice community radio station here in New York City with our signal beaming from the top of four times square in the middle of Manhattan across the five boroughs into the Hudson Valley and out to Long Island and uh, down through New Jersey. And it's all made possible by the support of listeners like yourself. This uh, station does not uh, get uh, corporate backing or um, any of that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's powered uh, by your energy, by your green energy, uh, whether you can give 10 or $20 or 50 or 100 or uh, if you're doing well, maybe 500 or $1,000. It's all urgently needed for this radio station. Another way you can really help WBAI and help keep this signal on the air and help keep shows like the Independent News Hour going is to become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. You get all sorts of uh, excellent uh, perks and premiums uh, with that. Uh, if you can give a little bit more, $15 a month, $20 a month, $25 a month as a WBAI buddy, you can do the, uh, either the one-time donation or become a buddy by calling 212-209-2950. Let me give you that number again, 212-209-2950, or you can go to give number two WBAI.org. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a community that keeps this station going. I mean, whether you're in uh, Washington Heights or Crown Heights or Astoria Heights or Cambria Heights, whether you're in, you know, Inwood or Midwood or the Lower East Side uh, or, or the Upper West Side, wherever you are, uh, we need your support at 212-209-2950. Or you can go online, give number two, WBAI.org. I can tell you, you know, at The Independent, we also have uh, monthly sustainers like WBAI buddies and uh, for an organization, for a grassroots organization, when you take on that role, you really help provide a, a fin- financial bedrock uh, for that organization to know that it has a certain amount of money coming in from month to month. It provides uh, some uh, crucial stability. So become a WBAI buddy. Call 212-209-2950. We're in the holiday season. You're going to hear all sorts of advertisements and jingles to buy all kinds of products and all of that. We know that's uh, uh, part of our uh, capitalist landscape right now. But you know, make a gift that really matters. Give to WBAI. Call 212-209-2950. Uh, give that number out at the end of the show, too. But if you can pick up that phone right now, uh, that would be uh, fantastic. And I uh, want to now uh, turn... Uh, to our uh, next two guests uh, who are uh, good friends of the independent and always on the cutting edge out in the streets uh, uh, demanding uh, justice and uh, I would say cultural revolution. And uh, that's uh, Reverend Billy and uh, uh, a longtime preacher for the church of stop shopping and also Sabatri D. She's an activist and artist and the director of the church of stop shopping. And, uh, uh, welcome to y'all, uh, Sabatri. I, uh, I don't know if Billy has disappeared for a moment, but Sabatri, yo, uh, welcome to WBAI radio. Hey, John. Good to see you. How are you? Pretty good. So, uh, I don't know if you got to hear that clip we played a little while ago of the, uh, the Sheikh, uh, uh, Al Jabir, uh, saying that, uh, there is no scientific reason to think, 
uh, that we need to phase out fossil fuels. Just uh, kind yeah. of hearing that kind of mentality. Yeah, and, and this is the person shocking. leading the COP uh, summit this year. Yeah, I mean, he tries to walk it back, right? But, you know, really this, this question that's going on right now about a, uh, a phase out or a phase down, you know, that's really uh, the critical thing they're uh, pushing around, you know, and, and I think um, he's a perfect example. You know, he, he just keeps trying to normalize this phase down as if we don't need a phase out, you know, but we've committed to a phase out. So let's go. Sometimes uh, with people like that, it feels like it's a more of a phase in. But um, uh, well, I mean, we know that's true. But we knew that even in, five years ago at, at Paris. I mean, even at that time, the investments already in place, the projects already in place five years ago made a phase out impossible. So I mean, it's all kind of performative, if 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 you ask me. But uh, I mean, right? I mean. <laughs> Uh, it's not necessarily something to believe in as one would believe in, you know, religion, say, or like, you know, a family tie or something. You can't believe in the, you can't believe in the process, but, you know, you have to commit to the process. Right. Now, uh, uh, the Church of Stop Shopping and its choir uh, has traveled to some of these uh, COP uh, climate summits. Um, Can can you talk about uh, the last uh, climate summit that you all traveled to and sort of what you all did and what you encountered uh, both uh, with the activists on the outside and the powers that be on the inside. Sure. I mean, we were in Glasgow two years ago. Um, and That's in Scotland? In Scotland, correct. Um, and it was very interesting to be there, um, maybe not – because it fueled some sort of optimism, but more because you see the community of activists, you know, that's always um, a helpful thing to see who shows up, you know. Um, I There were a remarkable number of uh, frontline communities there and indigenous people from all over the world. Um, and I and I was told from a lot of people on the inside that um, the indigenous communities were given a lot of, uh, a lot of, talk time, a lot of microphone time, um, and not in a tokenized way, really, but in a, a really sincere way. Um, of course, we know that that, that uh, ended in a walkout. You know, everyone walked out. Mm-hmm. The delegates walked out, right? So um, Glasgow was, you know, it's highly militarized, highly policed. You know, we had a security detail from the minute we stepped into the city limits. Um, we were tailed, followed, surveilled. Um, there were a lot of activists there from all over the place. Um, a lot of beautiful, creative um, actions going on. And uh, But there was a feeling of despair amongst the activists, a feeling that this um, was it. It was really like the, the last chance, you know, which is probably how we're going to feel for the rest of our lives, that this is the last moment, this is the last chance we have to do something. Um, but meanwhile, you know, the the momentum of uh, corporate interests and, and their interrelatedness with uh, nation states around the world, not every nation state, but almost every nation state, um, makes it fairly difficult for the voice of the people to, to uh, be heard or to have a seat at the table. You know, we know that uh, four out of five humans on Earth, when they're asked, say, 
they would do anything to stop climate change. They say, we need to do whatever needs to be done to stop climate change, right? And so that right. is clearly the will of the people, right? But the, that other that other person, the, the fifth out of five, is the one with the bank account and the um and the and the signing authority, I guess, for these treaties and 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 for the policies that ultimately uh you, you know create our reality around us. Right. And uh, uh Reverend Billy uh Talon, he's uh, rejoined us. Uh uh, Reverend Billy, what what are some of your memories of the that last climate um, summit that you attended in Glasgow, Scotland? Billy, there he is. Go ahead, Billy. Wow, I guess it's just a bad signal. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> hope he can. Uh, you know what? Uh, our engineer can call Billy. We have a, a you know oh, his number. Dude. Do you know his number? Um, that would be great. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, Re- uh, Reggie w- would have that number in the, uh, I believe would have access to that. So hopefully maybe we can get, uh, Billy on the phone line, uh, since he, he dropped off with his, uh, digital connection there. Uh, so, um, I guess just w- talking a little bit more about the kind of what it's like to be at a, a, a climate oh, conference yeah, sure. like so- this. There's a big conference, right? And it's set up a lot like a trade fair and it has that feeling about it. It's like a big trade fair. And then there's a, a lot of fencing around it, a lot of um, perimeter building around the actual event. And outside that perimeter are, you know, r- rings and rings of activists. Um, and, uh, you know, you are watching the world walk in and out of that, uh, that, uh, conference center, whatever it is. Um, you, you know, you're watching people from the global south. You're watching, you know, the leaders of the EU. You're watching, uh, just a lot of different kinds of people. And, and of course, all their assembled teams, you know, so, um, it's really a, a beautiful thing the way the United Nations can be a beautiful thing because you're, you're seeing the whole world. Um, but this division between the professional, uh, you know, policymakers and the activists is, is pretty stark. And, um, one does feel, uh, quite, um, suppressed. The, the voice of the people quite suppressed. Um, there tends to be a very heavy handed police and, um, and one feels the kind of, uh, de- yeah, again, just des- a kind of desperation, you know. Right. Um, Actually, we've now got Billy on the phone line. I understand. Billy, are you there? Yes, I feel a desperation against uh, the media, technology, the the effort to be on the radio show. But I'm glad to be here now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Whatever you know, whatever it takes. Um, So, uh, Savitri was sharing some of her uh, uh, memories and experiences of what these uh, climate uh, summits are like, uh, especially for the activists. Uh, anything uh, you would like to add uh, to that in terms of, of of the divide between the activists and the and the suits and um, and also what what do the activists what kind of conversations do activists have among each other since the suits on the inside aren't uh, listening too much? Well, at this point, we're just in in a uh, a trap of double speak having an oil executive running the International Climate Conference, um, bombing children in real time on our screens with our tax money 
and calling it liberation, calling it security. Um, and then you turn and you, 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 you want to fight for life. And there's really no way to do it. And so I think we're getting at this, at this point, we're just out of time. And we're going to have to start doing what movements have always done, which is there are some people that are willing to risk their lives for change. I don't see how more huge, uh, uh, like we had a 75,000 person march at the end of climate week. Did it really make a difference? Marches and rallies, marches and rallies, marches and rallies, and uh, desperate radio interviews with John Tarleton. I don't think it's going to – we have to, we have to – we have to start confronting the police, confronting the courts. We have to, we have to start saying we want to live. And it, it, we're at that point. We're at that boiling point. It, it's, just, it's just got to, we can't just be just shouting and waving signs anymore. The, 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 the change has to take place because the earth is on its own schedule. The earth will just go forward. And, and we will have that sixth extinction that, that the scientists tell us about. So I'm, I'm, I mean, one very interesting development um, this year is this is the bringing forward of a, a proposal, which I just think is a um, is a good lens kind of to look at the whole situation we're in through, um, which is to tax every military budget in the entire world five percent towards climate mitigation and, and relief. Um, knowing that the the gravest and greatest uh, threat to security moving forward is climate, that conflicts will increasingly be caused by climate, various, you know, various forms of, you know, flood, drought, uh, land use issues, all, you know, there's a lot there. But this, this idea that you would take money from the military <laughs> to mitigate climate, I mean, it, uh, I don't, I don't support increasing military budgets ever, but, uh, it does kind of show you this lens, like you can look through that and say, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's this positive feedback loop between climate and conflict and these ballooning military budgets, you know, but really just to start understanding that, like, it's a preventative measure, right? We have to take preventative measures wherever we can now. Right. And, uh, kind of coming back down to the, sort of the very local, um, uh, Billy or Savitri, uh, can you talk about the Earth Church, uh, that, uh, your organization has, uh, formed over the last year and a half, uh, taking over a, a former bank, uh, building, uh, in the Lower East Side on Avenue C? Shall I, shall I take it, Savitri? Yeah. We, we, we have an experiment, a cultural experiment. Uh, that we're working on. We believe that there's uh, a kind of urban secular spirituality that we need in our environmental activism that we have not had, and that our activism can become much more powerful when it's not just political theory or right thinking, or uh, but rather uh, a, uh, a feeling that I am the earth, the earth is in me, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing what the earth must do, you see, there's a, there's a great leap forward. The Democrats and the environmental movement have not ever wanted to, to touch the spiritual question, but the earth is a spirit. The earth is alive, and, and we are a part of that life. And so mo- modernity, you know, modern living and 
and Christian neoliberal capitalism have just pushed that away as a possibility. We think that we have to have a radical new cultural approach. So the last year and a half, we've been experimenting every Sunday, uh, and we're going to start up again in January at 5 p.m., January 14th, after we're done with our Joe's Pub shows. We're, we're, uh, we're exploring new ways to be with the earth that will affect, strengthen our activism. Okay. And uh, another uh, local matter that you have devoted a lot of energy to is the situation at East River Park. Can uh, you talk about that and what you all are uh, involved with? Savitri, you want to take that one? Right. Well, the East River Park is a uh, a, a kind of uh, it's a pork project, right? For our city government, it's a, a lot of money uh, for so-called uh, coastal flood resilience, and um, yeah, it, there's a lot of terrible things about it. First and foremost, the destruction of a 60-acre green space for one of the least served communities in the city for green space, um, you know, who have uh, incredibly high asthma rates already, terrible air quality as the FDR runs right by it. Um, and that green space is slowly but surely being eliminated by the city um, in the name of flood protection. When, unfortunately, it's not sure that it will help with the flooding. <laughs> Um, and we know that it will cause flooding elsewhere, like primarily across the river in Newtown Creek, the largest Superfund site, <laughs> the site of the largest oil spill Oops. in this country's history, right? <laughs> so, um, there's all kinds of problems with it. Um, and, and, uh, they've destroyed the, the, the lower half of the park and are, you know, on their way to the upper half of the park. 500 trees remain, mature, beautiful trees. Um, that that people have grown up with, that have seen a hundred years of history in this city, and and sheltered untold number of animals and creatures and and teenagers and grandmothers, and uh, those trees are one by one being cut down. Uh, so we've been working to stop that. But I mean, it's not just about the trees; it's about air quality, it's about quality of life. There's science every day, new science every day, showing that you know life expectancy is higher if you live by a park. You know, the, the actual telomeres in your cells, um, are, are stronger if you live in a, near a green space. I mean, there's just all kinds of evidence that, that being in a green space actually improves your physical quality of life. This is not like sentimental and emotional. This is physical. You are part of the ecosystem in which you exist, right? And, uh, we need trees, right? Trees give us life. So, um. Right. We just have a couple of minutes here. Uh, this is a climate, re- so-called climate resiliency project. It does bring to mind, uh, what's going down and down in Atlanta with Cop City, sort of another a juggernaut that this system is trying to unleash where they're tearing down a, a forest there to build a, a, a cop training center. Absolutely. That's where the, that's where it's struggling for the earth and, and, and struggling for democracy and children and families and struggling against racism in those projects, Standing Rock. Line three, the wet to wet and pipeline up in British Columbia, the Cancer Alley struggle down in Louisiana. The sacrifice community struggles are where, where the the two, where the the COP twenty eight 
in Dubai and the bombing in Gaza of families and children. It comes together. It's one. It's one struggle. Indeed. And, uh, right. And uh, uh, Savitri, before we have to go, uh, can you let people know about the uh, shows y'all are going to be doing this month at Joe's Pub? Sure. The next two Sundays we're at Joe's Pub, uh, 6 p.m. And uh, 35 Voices, cheapest show in, on Broadway, you know, we like to say. <laughs> um, and you can get your tickets at joespub.com. But um, yeah, I encourage people to come down. It's a, these are, these are hard days, uh, with what's going on in Gaza. And, uh, yeah, it's good to be together right now. It's good to be together. Yes. So the, the, those shows will be, uh, these next two Sundays, uh, the 10th and 17th of December at Joe's Pub, uh, right down the street from Astor Place in the Cube there. That's right. Uh, at the Public Theater. Yeah. Yep. Alrighty. Uh, thank both of you for joining us, uh, Savitri D. Thank you, John. Yeah, thank you, Billy. Uh, we had the struggle to get you on the air, but uh, we won this struggle. So, yeah, uh, thank you for uh, uh, sticking <laughs> Let's get with to us. That other struggle. Let's get yeah that on to bigger struggle. struggles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, so uh, we're going to wrap it up for now. Uh, Want to thank our uh, uh, board operator Reggie Johnson and uh, producer Amma Gagarin helped out with all the music and, and audio. And we'll be off next week, and we'll be back after that. And for our final song, we're going to hear uh, uh, from uh, the, the the choir of the Church of Stop Shopping. It's called Change Without Us. Do you feel what I'm feeling?